0: This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins.
1: Today we are tackling a topic that affects nearly 20% of American children, obesity. It's been a rising problem and parents struggle with the best way to address it, wanting their kids to be healthy, but not wanting to create body image issues on that road to better health. So how do you know if your child is just going through a phase or has a real problem? What are the tips and tricks to help your child lose weight without making them self-conscious or hurting their self-esteem? When do you seek medical intervention. Our expert is here to answer all your questions and tell you about the drugs and surgery recently approved for children with obesity. All that ahead. Welcome to Prescription for Life. I'm Monica Robbins. This is a tough subject for adults as well as our kids. We're talking about weight. 15 million children in this country have obesity, and it's not just adolescents or teenagers. 22% of kids with obesity are ages 12 to 19. About 21% are kids 6 to 11 years old, and almost 13% of kids with obesity are 2 to 5 years old. And these weight problems come with a host of other complications. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, breathing problems like asthma and sleep issues. In a moment, we're going to hear from an expert in childhood obesity to answer all of your questions on how best to tackle this. But first, for the first time in 15 years, the Academy of Pediatrics released new guidelines for treating obesity in children. And some parents are worried about the unintended consequences. Reporter Angelique Kakaday from our Seattle station, King 5, has more. Obese, large, heavy. Overweight. We all
2: know the words used to describe what science calls having an excessive amount of body fat. So medicalized and stigmatizing that to hear those, I hear, oh, that's a medical thing that someone's trying to fix. Mom of three, Christy Facio says doctors have been trying to fix her with diets since she was 12 years old. So much shame. Um, it didn't help. My my body still did what it was gonna do. She says the dieting only led to eating disorders and mistrust. And there's worry that what happened to her could happen to more kids. When you believe that your parent doesn't like thinks you need to be fixed, that's you. It's hard. The new guidelines suggest the longstanding approach of watchful waiting doesn't work and that doctors should offer anti-obesity medication to treat kids as young as 12 and weight loss surgery for kids as young as 13 who have a body mass index above the 95th percentile, or in other words, who are obese. We're starting to medicate and cut into them when they're not not developed yet.
1: I don't think about it as medicine. I think about it as helping families make changes in uh, their child's behavior.
2: Brian Salins is a professor of pediatrics the University of Washington School of Medicine and says he wasn't surprised by the update. The rate of childhood obesity, which can lead to type two diabetes and high blood pressure has been on the rise, up nearly 3% between 2008 and 2020, according to the CDC. Brian says it's this data that shows doctors need to be working with families, not against.
1: We need to sort of change environments for healthfulness to prevent obesity, but we also need to do that so kids can be successful and they're trying to make changes in their behaviors. So now we know the new guidelines and we know there are medications and even surgical options for kids for the first time ever. So where do you go from here if you have a child struggling with weight? We brought in our expert from Cleveland Clinic to answer your questions. We are joined now by Dr. Andrea Mucci, a pediatric endocrinologist with Cleveland Clinic Children's. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. We are talking about kids living with obesity here in the US and the statistics show 20%, one in
0: five kids, is that right? That is unfortunately a correct statistic. We've seen the rates of overweight and obesity increasing over the past decades. And now one in five children have this medical condition. Any idea why? Why are we seeing this? So it, that's a complicated question with a complicated answer. So the world we live in is changing. And I think you can ask anyone about that. Um, our exposure to social media, our You know, we had the pandemic where we were all at home, less activity, more access to fast food. And then there's more complicated factors like genetics and social determinants of health.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of write off genetics Mm -hmm. as being part of this problem. Mm -hmm. We'll get back to that in a second. But I'm looking at this 12 percent of two to five year olds have obesity. Twelve percent. Yeah. How when when is it that parents need to be concerned or
0: how do you even notice because kids are just bigger now? That that's true. So with the growing A pandemic of obesity, we're seeing just in general, a lot more kids who are obese. So compared to the average kid in their class, they may not be much bigger because obesity is so prevalent. Um, You know, we don't usually, we wouldn't use the term obesity in a less than two-year-old. So, but from two on, they should be, you know, continuously monitored monitored for their weight and their height growth. And it's a ratio of those that give us um, an indicator of whether they may be overweight or obese.
1: So there were always those weight ranges that you always saw on the wall in the doctor's office. Are those uh, are those still
0: guidelines to watch for or should it be more individualized at this point? So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. So within the United States, we use the same growth charts for all children, um, regardless of of race or country that they're born in. And those have remained unchanged for the past few decades. And so that's why you see more and more people obese, because even though we as a society are getting bigger, relative to those standards, there's more and more above the curve. But when you talk about an individualized diagnosis, of course, every person is an individual, every patient is provided individualized care. And so when we look at their obesity, we uh, look at different factors that could contribute to that, um, such as their family history, uh, their socioeconomic status, their lifestyle, barriers to achieving a healthy lifestyle. And of course, for every person who struggles with obesity, we, we help them come up with an individualized plan.
1: So there is nothing worse though than going to a doctor on your own or <laughs> going to your child's pediatrician and being told little Billy just has to go out, exercise and eat less. That doesn't necessarily work for everybody.
0: How do you approach that now with parents? So that's a that's a really great question and I think that different providers we all have unique approaches. What we do know is that as a medical community, we should really be treating obesity as a medical condition and not as a stigmatized issue. So in the past you know, people may have thought, "Oh, obesity—that's all that person's fault." You know, they're just not exercising enough, and they're not—they're not really taking in that full picture. So. Um You know, I think that for my approach is I like to always create a non-judgmental and welcoming environment. And, you know, I struggle with obesity too. Um, So I like to emphasize that it's not about, just about the body weight or, you know, what number is on the scale. But the reason why we talk about these things is because of the importance on health. And I think that that's a really important factor to emphasize is that the reason why this is an issue isn't because people are needing to buy bigger sizes of clothes. It's that we're seeing the respective increases in the health complications related to weight.
1: Let's talk about those. If obesity is not treated, what does a child risk?
0: So, I think the most worried um, complication is diabetes. So, specifically, type 2 diabetes is more related to lifestyle changes and much more increased risk when you're obese. I can say, even through my training, you know, when I was in medical school a few decades ago, you, you rarely saw teenagers with diabetes, or at least they weren't being diagnosed. And now there's a good proportion of our patient population that are teenagers struggling with type 2 diabetes. So I think that that's, as endocrinologists, we're also particularly worried about that. But of course, there's the other long term risks. So higher cholesterol can eventually lead down the road to heart problems. Um, fatty liver is another common complication that we do see in pediatrics. And, you know, along with that, there's a Uh, many other health complications like types of cancer that increase over the lifespan uh, in people who are obese, as well as mental health conditions.
1: You know, I think, um, let me start there, because you brought up mental health, and obviously you also brought up stigma, and I I think it's very different how you speak to a 5-year-old and a 15-year-old. How do, how, what is your suggestion for parents to deal with this if they do start seeing an issue? You know, my mom used to just tell me, girl, you know, you're getting, you're getting, you're getting a booty now. And, and, uh, you know, and it it would, it would kill me when I'm 15 years Mm -hmm. old. And that's the last thing you want to hear. How do you do that? How, as a parent, do you talk to your child about that? Um, because kids are already likely talking to them about that. So
0: you're exactly right. So first of all, they're probably hearing it from their classmates, which we can talk about in a second. And social media, you know, social media is another major um, factor that plays into body image. I think that there's a strong, agreement that encouraging body positivity or what they at least say is body neutrality is really important. So you shouldn't be negative about your body. You shouldn't let your body weight define you. And I think that encouraging that and instilling that in children from a young age that, you know, what's on the outside is not important, whether it's your weight, your height, your skin color, you know, what makes you a good person and is going to define you is how hard you try, what's on the inside, how you treat other people. So I think that, I mean, I do think that sounds a little uh, basic, but I think it's really important to to teach children from a young age that weight does not define them. And then um, in terms of bullying, you know, that does happen. And fortunately I ask my patients that as a standard question and we often, get stories, you know, bullying is also a growing uh, trend. And if it's not your weight, it's something else. So, you know, that's a whole other discussion, but you know, teaching children that um, being the recipient of bullying can be very difficult, but um, saying something positive about yourself back is usually a, a good way to deal with that. And obviously informing your parents and your teachers. However, if you're the the giver of the bullying, if you're the bullier, that's a problem, and that sometimes is a reflection of other things that may not be settled.
1: How often are you seeing that um, obesity is an issue within the entire family? and it's just, you know, passed
0: on, if you will. Yeah, so that's that's very common, right? So bigger families will, you know, bigger parents will have bigger children. Um, you know, and I can speak you know personally to this. Everyone in my family is, as we like to say, bigger boned. And that is a reflection of when there's multiple genes that contribute to our weight and our metabolism. And so, of course, there's family trends. If both of your parents are bigger, you're probably gonna struggle with this also at some point in your life. If not as a child, then perhaps as an adult. What is the warning sign? Because like we said,
1: those weight charts have been around since, you know, the 60s and they're not necessarily catching up, but Mm. you know, it's still something that everybody goes by. When, what are the warning signs parents need to watch for? And when is it that they really need to talk to the pediatrician about this?
0: Well, I mean, I think that it's, it's, in a coordinated effort with their, their pediatrician or primary care provider about when it becomes a problem. So BMI or body mass index is one indicator. And every time they visit their pediatrician, their height and weight will be plotted. And there is a definition of overweight and obesity. So all pediatricians will be screening for this at their annual well child check. So I think it is really important to have a a good regular follow-up visits with your with your pediatrician. And they'll, if you listen to them, they'll they'll tell you, right? So I think being open to the receiving that information when you receive it um, is important. And then knowing um, that there's lots of different forms of support out there, that you're not on this alone, and that there's ways, you know, there's supports out there that can help you move forward. Here's the hot button topic.
1: When is it, and is it appropriate to t- say to a child that they need
0: bariatric surgery? So that is a, a hot <laughs> button topic. Um, so there were recent guidelines published in January 2023 from the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics that took the into account all research um, input from multiple specialists, families. And currently they're saying it could be considered over 13. Now, as a practical... Um, as a practical factor, I have not seen it used that earlier. early. We usually really focus on um, healthy lifestyle, and now actually those same guidelines are recommending considering medication use at 12 or o- over. So I don't think anyone is, at Cleveland Clinic, I can say that we are waiting until they're at least 18. You brought up medication. That was my next question because
1: parents don't want to medicate their kids. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we see all the diet pills advertised. We see Wagovi and Ozempic. These are diabetes medications. Um, when is it and are there medications that are appropriate
0: for children? And if so, are they safe? That is also an excellent question. so you you say diet supplements. That I would say are not safe for anyone. so if you're if you're buying something off of Amazon or um, the internet, it's it's likely not advisable. So this should be a discussion that you either have with your doctor or your child's doctor. There are medications that are FDA approved for use in children. Um, historically, one of them was just uh, affected the the uh, fatty absorption and was poorly tolerated. Now the two of the medications you did mention, so Wagovi and azempic, um, as well as another uh, medication called Liraglutide, um, are FDA approved for weight loss in children 12 years or older. They are, quite safe. There's certain conditions you shouldn't use them in, but they do have side effects and they are given by a needle injection. So I think the decision to start a medication is a balanced decision and an individualized decision that you would make with each family. One of the major barriers to using these medications is that they are very rarely uncovered by insurance and they're very expensive. So until, you know, insurance catches up with that, it likely isn't an option for most people, children or adults.
1: Yeah, that was my question. I know uh, you know, more <laughs> likely if if someone is a diabetic, they may have access. But if you're just trying to lose weight for a
0: child, there's no way. But if they are diabetic, would insurance cover? Oh, so in, in, if a child already has type two diabetes, they are covered as part of a kind of comprehensive management. Sometimes they, it depends on the insurance company. So sometimes they will have wanted them to try something like metformin first, but for type two diabetes, they're being increasingly covered. I, there are, a small number of pediatric patients that are able to get it approved, but these are mostly those with a very severe form of obesity or what we call a monogenetic form of obesity, meaning that they're born with a specific gene abnormality that genetic predisposes them to continuously gain weight.
1: The genetic predisposition to uh, obesity has has been batted around and challenged you know, it's so easy for people to say, oh, just get off the couch and stop eating Mm -hmm. the Cheetos. That's just, you know, something that most people would say, eat less, exercise more. That Mm -hmm. does not work for everyone. Mm -hmm. How do you know when you're dealing with a genetic Mm -hmm. issue or it's,
0: obviously a lifestyle issue. So that's a good question. So I've mentioned genetics twice. So number one, when it just kind of runs in the families and everyone's a bit bigger, that's something called polygenetic, meaning that it just kind of runs in the family, like maybe twins run in the family or maybe, you know, people have blonde hair in the family. So lots of things kind of contribute to that versus monogenetic is something when there's a specific gene change. And these gene changes involve some of the hormones and signaling pathways involved in appetite and metabolism metabolism. So these are things, uh, an unrelated example is Down syndrome. There's a specific genetic change that results in, you know, certain findings. So there are specific finding and genetic changes that can result in obesity. We consider these when there is early onset weight gain. I think it's a kind of common factor in a lot of these conditions. So, you know, rapid waking, usually starting before the age of two or three and just progressive, unresponsive to the lifestyle interventions. Sometimes there's other findings like learning disabilities or other physical findings on exam. So that's why, you know, regular visits with your doctor, we can help differentiate. Is this something that we should be really just honing in on healthy lifestyle changes, considering a medication and or referring to genetics to see if they agree an evaluation is warranted best advice for parents who may be looking at little billy at this point going hmm i wonder focus on healthy lifestyle so i mean again you there's lots of supports for that and what does healthy lifestyle mean less processed food less fast food more fruits and vegetables a universal rule that i think any doctor or dietitian will agree on no sugary drinks Physical activity is a hard one, you know, less screen time. That has been demonstrated in research. So, less than two years is supposed to be no screen time. Um, above that, usually limiting it to two hours or less. And sleep, regular sleep cycles are also important. So, it's a combination of complicated things. I'd say a, a general pearl don't try to do everything at once, that's too overwhelming. You know, pick one or two things that you can work on as a family and don't point out little Billy. You know, this is a family trying to make changes and being more healthy together. That's what I was gonna ask you. Those are the stories I've done where I've
1: seen the most success Mm -hmm. is when it's not just the child's issue, the
0: the entire family gets behind it. Yeah, so you need that support. It's not it's not fair to ask one person in the family to make major changes and not apply that to yourself. So no, you you're not allowed to have coke, but I'm gonna sit here and drink a coke in front of you. Um, we know that is shown in re- research research that family-based interventions are what work the best and in terms of uh, what Your doctor can refer you to or other resources that Cleveland Clinic and other hospitals may have are diet pediatric dietitians who can help you if you don't know where to start, get an assessment of of what your child is currently eating and then provide you practical next steps of how you could start to focus on a more healthy diet. Diet. Or, for instance, we have a multidisciplinary weight management clinic. Multidisciplinary means there are specialists from a number of different areas. So, you know, an obesity medical specialist, a dietitian, a physical therapist, and a, a psychologist who work together uh, to come up with an individualized plan for each child and family. And that is family based. So, when we talk about family based interventions, that clinic, which is called the Be Well Clinic, is really designed to help support the family to make changes that sounds great
1: and I think everybody needs to go see a dietitian at least once because we all think we
0: know what we're doing and we don't so That, that is a good point Dr. Mucci thank you so much it's been my absolute pleasure thank you Some
1: great insight there from our doctor who mentioned it can be hard to get your child to eat healthy foods. We all know that the dinner table can be a huge battle zone, with kids not wanting to eat their vegetables in particular. After all, entire cookbooks have been written on how to hide the veggies in more kid-friendly foods like mac and cheese. But it turns out there might be a simple trick to getting your kids to eat better. And it all has to do with how long you're sitting at the table. Take a look at this report from our Charlotte station, WCNC
2: a longer dinner could encourage your kids to eat healthier food let's connect the dots for parents of picky eaters the dinner table can be a battlefield but a new study shows adding an extra 10 minutes to mealtime significantly increased the fruits and vegetables kids actually ate researchers also found that cutting the fruits and vegetables into bite-sized pieces helps get more food in your kids during an extended 30-minute dinner this study builds on other research that found there are A lot of healthy dinner habits, including turning off the TV, modeling a healthy diet, and including kids in the food preparation. But according to the Washington Post, while all those approaches increase healthy eating, extending the time for dinner actually had the biggest effect.
1: That's it for today's episode of Prescription for Life. We hope you learned something valuable that may help your child be the healthiest they can be. And we hope you'll join us right back here next week. I'm Monica Robbins wishing you good health. Thank you so much for tuning into Health Yeah! Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Find video podcasts at Monica Robbins channel on YouTube. And please subscribe. Wishing you great health and hope to see you again soon. Thanks
0: for listening to
1: Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now
2: so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.